Hi, this is Reg Harvick, and I'm here today with my friend and colleague Ed Jaffe, who is a really a mover and shaker in the world of mainframe, a really active at Share and a major aficionado of uh, a Jazz 3 and also of Bourbon. Well, before giving everything away, Ed, uh, tell us about yourself. How did you end up on the mainframe? <laughs> okay, uh, thank you very much, Reg. I, I... You, you're, you're always so enthusiastic on these things, so I decided I would sit here with a cup of coffee and see if maybe I can match you, but I, I'm not going to really try. <laughs> anyway, Go ahead, still Jeff on that mainframe. <laughs> we, uh, you know, I, I actually started back in 10th grade. I was in a math class, and, and the teacher, the guy, Mr. Martin, I remember him, and, and he gave us a two-week intro to basic language. Hmm. And I, you know, most of the kids just went back to, they took this class, it was over, done. But for me, I thought, hey, this is pretty neat stuff. I want to try to learn it. So they had this uh, teletype machine there in the math lab, and it had access to a 370 that was running a, a system called CallOS. And on there, it had three languages, BASIC, Fortran, and PL1. And any kid could go into the math lab if you had a, a break or, or a, you know, didn't, didn't have a class right then or whatever. So I went in there and basically uh, kind of – actually, I ended up teaching myself all three of those languages on this thing. And I wrote a poker game in basic. I, I wrote an even better one in Fortran. But, and then PL1 I loved. So I wrote this uh, two-dimensional tank battle game in PL1 that used polar coordinates and everything. And it was you against all the bad guys. And, and a lot of the people around there were playing it, loved it. And then, of course, my friend had to outdo me. So he came in with a 3D uh, Star Trek game that used polar coordinates. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was like, damn, how did he do that? And he was so a which really smart. Was this? Pardon? Was that the here? Sure. It was on a, an IBM uh, mainframe running a, a 370. Oh, wow. Yes, it, uh, through a, a teletype that was an acoustic coupled modem at, a, at oh. 110 baud. Old, I old remember stuff. those. And then we would store our programs on paper tape, the yellow mm -hmm. uh, paper tape that punched the little tapes that came out of the teletypes, if you remember those. So yeah, it was it was pretty interesting stuff, and and um, this guy was the first hacker I'd ever met. He actually figured out how to hack the Fortran runtime so that he could execute arbitrary instructions in these Ooh. things that were called for, uh, uh, in Fortran. You had these things called a format that would use to help you print stuff, and he could load a format with any data, and and he had a way with using the equivalence, you know, overlay kind of stuff. Anyway, so we ended up writing this assembler that would emit this uh, Fortran. And we were basically writing assembler on a system. We had our own and I, we didn't have IBM's assembler. And we started snooping around and we just did it for fun, you know, just to, uh, just to, uh, you know, we played pranks on some people now and then stuff like that, but it was great fun. And and that was pretty much it. Um, but I did, when I was there, I decided to volunteer as math lab aide. And I mm. helped these kids learn Fortran. And the best part of that was twice a week, we would take, they had an IBM 29 punch there and the kids would, would punch their programs in on these things. And then twice a week, we'd drive them up to this business called Concept, ComSat Labs in Frederick, Maryland. And we would drop the cards off. They had an MVT system with, you know, had the old removable packs. And they had a, the Fortran compiler they had was called Watt5. That comes from Canada. Waterloo, Waterloo Fortran. University of Waterloo, yeah. Martin Timmerman's home, uh, homes brand. Absolutely. So, so kudos to the Canadians, and and uh, so it, it was great because this was a business that donated time 
to the local school. And I don't know if that's really being done as much as it was back then, but I thought that was a really cool thing. And and rather and the operators were so cool, they let us walk around and we couldn't touch anything, but they would show us everything. And if we, while we were waiting, they had this little room they gave us and it had 3270 terminals and they gave us TSO IDs to play with. So I was 16 year old, years old using TSO. And, wow. and this was before ISPF, so wow. we used a thing called FSC, full screen edit. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Hmm. And they had I another one called sure. QED, Q, quick edit, which was like the, uh, the the one that did more of it in memory. FSC, I guess, hmm. did everything on disk. And I was doing interactive PO1 compiles, and it was just really a great experience for a 16-year-old kid. Uh, but for me, it was really just a game. I mean, I didn't take it that seriously. And when I graduated high school, I, I did not consider computing a vocation. It was isolating. It was time consuming. It was a little addictive. And I kind of wanted to get away from it. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I, I had other things I was doing. I was making radio controlled model airplanes. I was practicing my violin. I, I was playing in rock bands. Of course, mm. rock bands goes with girls. I had some girlfriends. <laughs> and from a job perspective, I was really more interested in things like space, physics, mm. astronomy. I just did not really think computing would be the thing I wanted to do. And But when I was in college, I, I, I was majoring in math, minoring in music, uh, took a bunch of advanced math classes, physics, stuff like that. Not any computers until I needed some credits. And I said, wow, I need some credits. I'm going to take a couple of computer classes because it should be easy. I shouldn't have to work at it. <laughs> so I, I took this PL1 class and I may have told you this story before, but basically this this um, uh, professor put a big subroutine up on the wall, up on the board. And, and I don't know what got into me that day, but <laughs> I, I was just in a mood and I raised my hand. I said, you know, I, I think you could do all that in one in one in one statement. And this guy goes, all right, Mr. Jaffe, why don't you come up here and show the class? And I was like, great. That, what did I get myself into? So I go up there. I I put this. Uh, I spend a few minutes putting this thing together, and eventually come up with one statement that replaces his uh, subroutine. And and he he was a little upset about it actually. And he said, uh, well, you know, that's great, but we're not here to teach all the built-in functions. We're trying to show this, that, and the other thing. Mm. Um, so, and I really didn't think about who was in that class or whatever. And, and when I graduated, I, I left school and I started enjoying what I consider to be the good life. I was playing in bands. I was selling fireplaces <laughs> at a place called Bromwell's Fireplace Shop in Bethesda, Maryland, hanging out with girls. It was a great, you know, existence. And I, I was sort of between, I, I wasn't really ready to join like the workforce. But then I got a call from this guy, Jeff Barr who's kind of well known now. He, he's a AWS advocate for you know uh, Amazon. Mm -hmm. And he was in that class and he remembered me because I had introduced him to his future wife, but also he remembered me from that day with the, with the professor. Mm -hmm. And he had gotten this, this uh, 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 gig working for uh, a contractor to NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, because we were in the DC area, Bethesda, Maryland. And, um, and they said they wanted to, do this project in PL1. Did he know anybody good? And he said, you know, I remember this guy. And so he <laughs> went through the he went through the whole phone book, calling every Jaffe until he got to my dad. And my dad goes, Oh yeah, Edward's here. And and he handed me the phone and I I I spoke to Jeff and and uh, he wanted to pay me three times what I was making selling fireplaces. So I said, okay. So he he sort of brought me back into the dark side. I, I left the good <laughs> life and, and switched well, to a life of computing. 
you say you left the good life, but in fact, at Share, you, you've taught us how to live the good life as uh, mainframers. Your, your, uh, your appreciation for good things like fine bourbon, I think, has, has influenced all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear I helped somebody live the good life. But actually, I'm kind of kidding. I Honestly, I love my job. Don't get me wrong. It, it's a great job. And uh, I, I do really, truly believe, I don't know if Confucius said it or not, but whoever did say it, this thing about find a job you love and you never work a day in your life. Mm. I'm sort of a workaholic, but I don't really see it as working. It's just part of my life and I, I really, really enjoy it. So mm. uh, it's it's cool. a lot of fun. Now from PL1 programming to Phoenix, uh, th there's probably a couple of additional steps in there. Yeah, you know, well, I moved from, from uh, DC to LA, really uh, following, tr trying to uh, find a place for, uh, for music. It had to do with my musical career. And I was maybe thinking that I, I thought about New York, but it was way too cold. <laughs> and then, and the person's apartment that I stayed with had roaches running all around in there. And I said, well, I think I'm going to go to LA. So I went to LA instead. And, and when I came to, uh, to LA, I, I ended up working for this bank and actually Security Pacific Bank. That's where I met um, Skip Robinson. Uh, oh, who good old is Skip. My, yeah, Skip was the system programmer there, and I was an applications guy, but we were writing Assembler, not PL1. I got the job mm. because back then, they didn't do it through computers, and you didn't just put your qualifications down. You just sat and interviewed with somebody, and I told the guy all the stuff we did in high school and, and in college, and, and he said, great, you're hired. So mm. so I worked there, and um, and at the same time, I was I was playing in bands, and but I worked at this, at this uh, job at the bank, for like five or six years and and I got a little frustrated because every time I wanted to do something they kept squashing my enthusiasm the guy mm. would that I was working for actually my boss's boss would say if it ain't broke don't fix it mm. and I just wanted to I was so interested in development and I was reading all the IBM manuals in fact I bought a huge library of manuals through the IBM uh, from the IBM public library and had oh, them wow. to my house. So I've got probably a hundred old MVS manuals still, still around out in the garage. Uh, so, uh, so I ended up switching to uh, software development. A, a thing came up at Phoenix and, and I, and I took the job back in 1987. So, wow. uh, and that, that was an assembler job, obviously. Now, uh, one of the interesting things that happened after you came to Phoenix, I assume it was after, uh, was that you you discovered Jazz 3. And of course, you know, Jazz 3 and Jazz 2 have both been such an important part of the history of the mainframe since the 1960s. Um, and you know, people kind of assume Jazz 2 is the default, but in fact, Jazz 3 is a pretty special role, which you discovered. Tell, tell, tell us how, how that ended up being such an important part of your life. <laughs> well, it's funny because you know, we just didn't know. Honestly, I we we were not as plugged into this as I guess a lot of other people were. We didn't even realize there was this sort of rivalry between Jazz two and three. Well, <laughs> Phoenix was a was actually when I got there, it was a VSC based company, and it was for a while. But I got there in '87, and I part of what I did was refocus us towards MVS, and and we were running uh, MVS 3.8 with Jazz two and. And I was saying, look, we need to get a, a real MVSSP system installed here. And so, you know, we did that. And but and there there was this Jazz 3. It was and it was it looked like, you know, the one digit upgrade from two. <laughs> so, so we just wanted to run the latest. So we, we, we installed Jazz 3 and and I fell in love with it. I just thought the technology was fantastic. And and uh, and but oddly, I mean, I, what 
at the bank, they were using Jez 2 and they had SDSF. There was no SDSF for Jez 3. So, so I ended up writing one and uh, hmm. you know, ended up selling it uh, with Phoenix. It was eJez and I'm not trying to hawk cool. any product here. I'm just <laughs> okay. saying. And so that was part of it, you know, and Jez 3 uh, was just something I, I, you know, I just love the technology and, and eJez was a big part of it. Once we did that we became friends with the whole Jazz 3 community and 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 it had a lot of people say in years later um, you know just eJazz really helped save Jazz 3 for us because the lack of SDSF was a big gap and and people do tend to confuse the technology with the tools they had to manage it right. and once they had a good tool it helped them keep Jazz 3 alive and 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 now uh, just recently last year we we had sort of an opportunity to do the same thing again um, we you know, IBM was uh, going to sunset Jez 3. Uh, they didn't really have the skills anymore to work on it, and they didn't want to invest in that. And and so we we uh, thought outside the box and helped them think outside the box, and we made a deal. And and uh, you know now we're we are uh, uh, licensing a derivative work called Jez 3 Plus. And so mm. instead of just helping Jez 3 stay alive, we're also now have the opportunity to enhance it from within. And and that's cool. that's really exciting. And I have to say, you know, I've worked with Jez3 for like 30, I think I've worked with it now for 32 years. And and wow. this is sort of the culmination of that where now uh, it's actually in my bailiwick. It's actually right here and, and I get to write code on it. So it and and so do other people. So it's it's uh it's it's almost like a dream come true, I gotta say. Mm -hmm. I'm blown away by the whole thing. And I understand you recently uh, added to that uh, that, that um, uh, code base with an additional acquisition. That, that's true. Just I think it was just announced last week. Um, December eighth, I think, was the day that we closed on this thing. And yes, we we we've now acquired uh, bulk data transfer as well. And and there's a component of that that's important to Jez3 customers, the the SNOT NJE piece. And we didn't want them to to feel like they had to make sudden uh, decisions uh, because IBM was going to uh, they've announced now they're going to sunset that as well so so we we took that over uh, to try mm -hmm. to ease the burden of, of those Jez3 customers. Now of course one of the ways that you've demonstrated your love for Jez3 is you actually write music about it which I think is so cool and this will be give me a chance to, to sort of segue to Cher in just a moment <laughs> but that of course Cher has this uh, this old tradition of the Jez2 sing-along uh, and I know that they have that tradition because uh, when Helen Saren retired she made me the keeper of the Jez2 a sing-along songbook, but uh, just because it was called the Jazz 2 sing-along didn't mean it couldn't have a Jazz 3 song, and you made sure of that. So how did that all work out? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> That's actually a funny story because you're right. They, they were only Jazz 2 songs, and I was a Jazz 3 guy and at Cher and, I, and, and a musician, and I thought, you know, I, I'm going to write a song for Jazz 3. So I wrote this song, and it goes to the, uh, to the music of Hey Jude, actually, and... Um, and 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 they loved it, and so they they said, "Great, we'll put it in." I was a little worried that they would say, "No, this is Jazz Two only," but they they were cool about it. It was uh, uh, Sylvia Gorman and and Paul Say at the time, and so they asked me actually to sing it. So I got up on stage 
this was back when there were a lot of people at Share too, and they mm-hmm. had a band and everything in the in skids, the the reception. So they they had like a karaoke thing going, and I sang it. And as I sang it, I realized that that they had changed the words. So I was like, "What?" And so I got off. I went and talked to them. I was a little upset about it, and I said, "You know, you guys changed the words on me." And they said, "Well, you know, we had to change them to make them fit." And I and I said, "They did fit. Trust me. Give me a guitar. I'll prove it." They said, "We don't have a guitar." So I said, "Okay, I, if I go home and I played it." into a tape or something and, and on a guitar and, and, the, and I can prove the lyrics fit. We change them back. They said, yeah, we will. So I did that. And somehow this tape got uh, digitized and it's been <laughs> circulated around a bit. Uh, I guess maybe you've heard it. Uh, you know so what you should do is put a link to it on your website so we can put that in the transcript. Uh, I'm not sure I want how, many, <laughs> how much I want to share that. I'll let you decide. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't meant to be a great production thing. It was meant to be, uh, yeah, we could maybe do that. We could maybe do that, but it's kind of fun. Uh, I, I have shared it actually with a few people, so it, it, we could do that. That'd be fun. But anyway, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It just shows how much fun uh, Share is. Even though we don't have the sing-along anymore, uh, we definitely so far. we have a good time. I, I will never give up on us having that sing-along. I, I'm going to keep looking for ways. And, and of course, one of the ways that I did that is uh, back when we had Share Virtual this summer, the first iteration of it, um, I published a few uh, uh, little vignettes on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. And one of them is uh, that Jim Michael very graciously got out his guitar and sang one of the Share sing-along songs. Uh, and we recorded it and uh, and uh, published that. So if you go to Twitter, at sign Reg Harbick back in August, you'll you'll see that. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. That we'll, uh, we'll have those active again someday. <laughs> I will definitely download that link. And by the way, Jim Michael is one of my favorite people at Chair. Mm. Uh, was yes. you know, he's not there anymore, but uh, but he and I are Facebook friends, Instagram mm. friends, and yeah, great guy. Absolutely. Hey, so speaking of Chair, um, how did you end up in Chair? I mean, you you're sort of one of these you know everything people at Chair. You you've been sort of all over the place doing all kinds of stuff. Um, how did that all happen? <laughs> you know, the first Chair I went to was. Uh, it was back in 1990 in Anaheim, and um, I, you know, I wanted to make contact with with other Jazz Three people and stuff, and so I went to share and started talking to to people there, and they were very very welcoming. You know, I've heard uh, rumors here and there people would say, "Oh, share is so clickish," and mm-hmm. but I I didn't feel that at all. I you know I immediately got along with people and had a great time, and um, and I started volunteering. It really kind of wasn't my idea. <laughs> I'll be honest. I I did not rush up and say, hey, I want to volunteer. But it was sort of like uh, my favorite movies, It's a Wonderful Life. And the guy in there, uh, the protagonist, um, George Bailey, he, you know, he's got big dreams, right? He wants to be an architect. He wants to build great things. He wants to travel the world. But he ends up getting sort of roped into the family business. And I think this was kind of me. I kind of felt like the uh, George Bailey there at share every time somebody needed something or they'd say hey you know this person's leaving can you edit this newsletter or can you do the, you know can you and i ended up being a newsletter editor and then a, a you know as a project officer then a, a deputy project manager and then eventually a project manager for jazz and then moved up to mbs core technologies and of course now i'm uh, mbs uh, program manager which i i share that title with skip robinson and uh, yeah, ah, it's just Skip been a nice the conversation. Pardon? Skip returns to the conversation. He's, uh, you know, one of these things I got to do a Z talk with him. Yes, you do. He's got a very long, uh, very interesting story. He used to be a, uh, he spent time in Africa at, at, with the Peace Corps. 
So if you, <laughs> you can find yeah, out a definitely. lot about Skip. Okay, I'm gonna have to reach out to him and, and do that. Um, or I guess uh, Enterprise Tech Talk, I think we're calling him now. Uh, anyway, now, uh, of course, I don't wanna let you go without uh, talking about bourbon um, because that's one of the things you're known for, Sure, I mean, you have a, an amazing taste for fine bourbon and you share it so generously with others. You know, you always bring at least one bottle in, and it, it just turns into just a, a neat conversation. Uh, and how did you acquire this taste for bourbon? <laughs> Well, I do bring bourbon to, to share. You can't, and I'm not going to drink the whole bottle myself. So and you can only buy it in, that's the minimum increment. So, so I, I do share, uh, but it's, it, I guess it's really intended for me uh, initially. So I don't want to, I don't want people to think I'm, it's all altruistic. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know if you should, I, I should even admit this, but basically I, I, I read this book called The Metrosexual. It's, it's actually a very fun kind of a book and and uh, before you ask yes i am completely comfortable with my masculinity <laughs> and and i'm in touch with my feminine side i can wear pink shirts and i'm good with it but anyway i read this book and in this book it had um this very interesting chapter where it it ascribed different personalities to different drinks and 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 it would say you know somebody that comes into a bar and orders a uh, uh, sex on the beach, you may immediately think that they're very immature. Mm -hmm. Or if they hear that there's an order for a Tom Collins, uh, the image that pops into mind is, uh, you know, like a, a, a white bearded professor or something like this. Mm -hmm. And all of their characterizations were so spot on. And then they had the, you know, bourbon drinkers. And it was sort of like, uh, you know, the leading man type, you know, the, uh, the, the Clint Eastwoods and, and people like that. And I thought, OK, well, I certainly identify more with them than any of these other guys. So I'm going to try bourbon out. And I tried it. and I really liked it. And uh, I read about it and tried a lot of different ones and sort of, you know, I found that sounds odd. But if you drink two drinks side by side of different ones, that is the only way to compare things. You cannot compare. Mm. Um, drinking something one night and then drinking another another mm. night. You really need them side by side to really understand. And if you start doing that, you can find what it, it works for wine. Actually, it was taught to me by a wine aficionado. He never drank just one glass. He always drank two mm. and two different ones. So that's mm -hmm. that's really how you do it. And, 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 and actually, there's another share tie in here, too, because my sort of everyday bourbon now, the problem with bourbon is it's kind of an expensive hobby, let me just say. But my everyday bourbon is this stuff called Booker's. It's actually mm -hmm. the same mash as, as Knob Creek, but it's the shiny barrel. And, and this guy, Booker No, he, he understood this because he had been a taster. And so he sent his guys in to find the shiny barrel. Now, shiny barrel is the one that all the tasters hang around all the time because it's the best one in, in the warehouse. And, you can, mm. and so they're leaning on it, and that's why it's shiny and not, not dusty like the other barrels. Ah. And that's the one that he would uh, uh, sell as Booker's, and it's a it's a uh, 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 a barrel strength, barrel proof bourbon. It's mm. it's really good. And and the first time I ever tried it was at Share in Atlanta. I don't know if you remember that big uh, Marriott Marquis or, with the huge atrium inside. Yeah, well, that that, that cavernous uh, uh, the elevator uh, column yes. just goes way up to the. If, if you have vertigo, that's not the place to stay. Oh. <laughs> but so I, anyway, down at the very bottom of it, they had a, a whiskey bar, and, and I went in there, and there were a bunch of other people sampling their whiskeys. I remember Frank DiGilio was in there, and some other people that really like good bourbons, and and. Of all people, Donna Hootie, who who at the time was Shares Executive Director, who and now uh, uh, works for Phoenix as our CMO and Director of Business Development, 
she uh, actually bought me uh, and we tried together a, uh, a Booker's and I really enjoyed it. The artistry of it was very strong, but the artistry was obvious and it's mm. now my everyday. So, so there's a share tie in there as well. Now, do you add in a little bit of spring water sometimes or do you just have it straight? I am uh, one of the guys that just drinks it the way it comes. Uh, I used to put ice and I used to put water and little by little, I, I started saying, well, I really want to taste just the way it is. And, but I, I don't, uh, I, I, I certainly uh, respect and, and do believe that it's true that adding a little water does open up the flavor of, of any whiskey, um, a scotch, a bourbon, they, they all do that. Um, I, I personally don't do that, but, but it, I, I do understand it does open up the flavor. Cool. Now, um, this has been really a, a great and interesting conversation. Um, and, but before I end it up, is there anything else you've been hoping to talk about or you really want to share with everybody? Uh, I guess the only only thing I would say is I, I, I kind of want to get back to the IBM Z platform. I, I, I've been with it a long time. I've been super impressed with it. Everything about it's always been over-engineered from the start. When I sat down at that very first 3270 terminal when I was six, 16 years old, it was one of those old metal ones, you know, where the keys went clack, clack, clack. And, and it was just, it was obviously built to last a hundred years, you know, and I, and I just thought everything was so over-engineered and I was so impressed with everything they did. And they did everything right back then. Uh, Thomas J. Watson saw to it and, and they continued that tradition. They still continue to do things great. And so I, I just, I love this platform for what it is. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm proud of, uh, you know, what I've, the, the, the role I've played over the last 30, 34 years with it and so forth. And, um, and I, and I'm, I'm truly grateful that I'm still uh, able to work with it because I think it's a fantastic platform. Cool. Well, Ed, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. You know, thank you, Reg. Uh, Reg. It's, it's really a, uh, an honor to be on your, uh, your show, I guess you call it, and and uh, and it was really a lot of fun. So thank you very much. You bet.